0: Hello and welcome to the Sensory Matters podcast. I'm Loz and today I'm joined by M. Em, uh, you're here to talk to us today about EDS? Yeah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, so, EDS is Ehlers Danlos Syndrome. Is that how you pronounce it?
1: Elhers Danlos.
0: L-Hurst. I've, I've always wondered and I've never actually heard anybody say it before.
1: Everybody says it, like, no one seems to say it the same right but um my dad says it wrong and some of my support staff say it wrong but it from when i've been told by the consultant it was elhurst elhurst and loss syndrome
0: right um so if uh, we'll get straight into it i know that there's 13 types of eds yeah and I actually, because you're updating every day on your Facebook page different things about EDS, and I noticed on your page yesterday it said about the 13 types and that all of them, apart from HEDS, has a reason why.
1: Yeah, so hypermobile, they've not been able to figure out yet why it happened, but the other types is usually to do with being hereditary and genetics. Right, so the hypermobile one,
0: does that mean that's not hereditary in genetics or they just don't know? They just don't know yet. So a is that why that tends to be harder to get a diagnosis for? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what type do you have?
1: I actually have two types. So I have hypermobile and I have classical.
0: And what, what is there a difference between those? Does it affect you differently?
1: Yeah, so... um if you have hypermobile, it won't affect your organs, but classical can affect your organs as well. So my organs can stretch. um, I bleed dead easy. Um, There's lots of different things. I bruise dead easy. My skin will rip dead easy, and that's because of classical, whereas hypermobile, you don't seem to as much. Right. Um, you can bruise dead easy, but it's not quite as bad as if you've got classical.
0: Ah, And so to get diagnosed with the classical, was that through genetic testing? Uh, Yes. Yeah. So is it just blood tests and then they like obviously have a look at your bloods and see what's in there?
1: I think so. I can't remember because I'm not I'm not sure if if they did the genetic testing. I know we're waiting because of covid for some. But I've been diagnosed with classical, but that was just before COVID.
0: Right. So were you diagnosed with the hypermobile first? Yeah. Yeah. So what? What were the first signs for you that you had EDS?
1: Um, I kept dislocating my right shoulder. Um, like, like I've always been bendy and stretchy and been able to bend my fingers and everything, but my shoulder kept dislocating and not staying in. Um. The doctor that we first saw actually said it was a party trick. Right. <laughs> which
0: is so, not, like,
1: not very So did nice. you go
0: up to A&E or did you just like go and see a GP?
1: We did both. We went to A&E and we've been to the GP. Uh, we just kept getting put back into this whole like circle. And yes. then eventually when I was at uni and I dislocated my shoulder is when I got a consultant who actually knew what EDS was. Right, so how long How long in between that first time you
0: went to see a doctor and the university doctor, how long did you wait? Um,
1: so I was 14 the first time it happened. I was 19, so five years. But then I didn't properly get diagnosed for... So he kept suspecting it, but it then took another sort of five years to properly be diagnosed because it still wasn't um as known as it is now when yeah. I got diagnosed so thinking back before when you like before
0: you were 14 before you dislocated your shoulder for the first time can you remember anything before that that might have been signs of EDS
1: yeah so I've always bruised that easy um I do have dyspraxia so they did put that down to me falling over a lot but my fingers and my toes and stuff I've always been able to dislocate them um my and my thumbs like when I move my little fingers they lock and you have to push them back in and that's always happened Um, and I've always got had pain in different bits but the doctors used to say oh you're just growing or it's because of your dyspraxia they sort of just like brushed it off but eventually my mum was like no it's something else
0: this is exactly what's happening with us at the well at the moment. We've been trying to get a diagnosis for Jamie for for years and we just get told, oh, it's autism sensory pain or it's all in your head or it's the dyspraxia.
1: Yeah, everyone goes through that. Yeah. You have to keep pushing. It's really hard to push. <laughs> but you do have to because um otherwise they can be like you could just go undiagnosed and with like classical and stuff it could be dangerous yeah Um, and there's other types that can be dangerous as well if you are undiagnosed
0: yeah um so really I suppose you were really lucky that at uni you had a doctor there that knew about eds
1: yeah because without him I wouldn't have been diagnosed
0: yeah so what what did he sort of say to you did you go and see him with a dislocated shoulder and he was like this looks like eds
1: yeah, so um, obviously I ended up in A for like the sixth time in a few weeks and I got, at first they were just putting it sort of back in and um, that was it, they were discharging me but eventually they did say, like, right, we need you to see someone so they then, I had to go through um, the whole FATCH clinic situation and then I eventually seen... The consultant. So, and I've seen him on and off since that happened until just before COVID. So so have you like been with the same year. consultant
0: for both diagnoses? Yes.
1: Well,
0: oh, that's good. Because that keeps things together, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Usually if you find a good consultant, they'll be able to diagnose you with all of them. Um, right. Also, rheumatologists are pretty good as well.
0: Yeah, see, so we've seen a few rheumatologists, but because Jamie struggles to do the bait and scale stuff, it's not that they can't do it, it's that being asked to do things, it's like if something gets lost in translation.
1: Yeah, I had to be shown how to do it. Um, They had pictures. Right. So it wasn't what the doctor had was pictures of everything I had to do. Yeah. So that I could copy the pictures and that, that worked. A lot better than just sort of him telling me what to do oh I think I'm gonna have to ask for that then because
0: where we've struggled is the rheumatologist will do the for anyone who doesn't know the Beighton test is like testing how flexible your joints are and I'm not sure how much you have to score but I think it's up to nine points and you have to score a certain amount to be able to then for, for to have a hypermobile diagnosis and to look at EDS but with Jamie like you know the one we have to touch your toes? Yeah. Like if we say to Jamie, can you touch your toes? Jamie will just say no. Because <laughs> yeah. they don't understand how it's done. So I think we need pictures. That sounds like a really good idea.
1: Yeah. I think he definitely worked with people with autism before because he was really good with me. Yeah. And when I first went, I had my old assistant's dog with me who decided to make a nest out of the blue paper towels. But the <sighs> consultant really wasn't bothered. Oh. He was only a puppy at the time.
0: Oh, bless him. Um, so I've got questions that I wanted to ask you What You've covered one. One of them was how long did it take for you to get your diagnosis? So really, from seeing this, this consultant, it took five years.
1: Yeah, but before that, it's probably about ten.
0: Yeah, but really it's a lifetime thing, isn't it? You didn't know that you've always had it.
1: Yeah. yeah. You are born with it. It's not... It's not something that it so certain ones can be done by injury I think but most of them you're born with
0: and do you do? have you found that your symptoms have gotten worse as you've gotten older
1: yeah and one thing people say to do is exercise they're like oh you'll get fixed if you exercise That's if you don't have EDS, that's probably just if you just have hypermobile, which is completely separate because there's hypermobility and there's hypermobility EDS. So there's still two types. Um, And I do exercise. I have started playing wheelchair basketball. I'm a cheerleading coach. I go swimming and it's helping me maintain the muscles that I've got, but it isn't helping me build them back up. And it's certainly not stopping any dislocations. Does it help with the pain? It can, the swimming does. Yeah. Um, But I also find that um, with like cheerleading and I've only just started wheelchair basketball, but I absolutely love it. Um, A lot of it's the mental health side of it. And there's quite a few players in my wheelchair basketball team that have also got EDS. Mm -hmm. And it's quite good because you can sort of talk to them about it. Yeah. Um, so last week I was, we were playing a match, but it would have happened if I wasn't playing anyway. I was literally just pushing myself and I, I popped my elbow out um, and I just taped it up and carried on, but it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I imagine wheelchair basketball
0: has got to be quite rough on your upper body.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be. Um, the only injury I've actually had with playing was I got a ball in the face. Mm. And had like a bruised sort of bone where my eye, underneath my eye. But yeah. yeah so do you everything have to do else like it's just been just
0: a normal just dislocation from anything? So do you, do you train your upper body separately for basketball or anything?
1: Um, You can, yeah. So um, I've always, if I go to the gym, I always do stuff on my upper body anyway. Yeah. Um, And I tend to do aqua fit. Because it makes you weightless in the water, yes, yeah. so it does help with my legs. Um, but I mainly do all the upper body stuff. Yeah, and at That's cheerleading, like... cheerleading's a lot to do with your upper body. So yeah. So what? So do you
0: cheerlead yourself, or do you just coach?
1: I'm currently just coaching. I might be competing next season with one of our younger ones at the moment I'm just back I'm just coaching but I did used to cheer yeah So you sound like you're really really busy yeah if you don't I find with me because it is such um a condition that you literally wake up and you don't know how your body's going to be affected every day it it changes from one day to another it can even change in the day mm-hmm. so you can be fine one minute and not the next so if you don't sort of live life to your full and keep doing stuff it's just gonna get you down and it's just gonna wind you up and you'll get to a point where you won't be able to do those things so while you can do those things you're better to do those things that's amazing that's
0: so positive so have you ever been through the the stage where you weren't positive yeah yeah
1: yeah I've had a lot of mental health issues where I've been to the point where I've not even wanted to get out of bed um but through the support through my family and my support staff um they've helped an awful lot with helping me see that it's better to be positive I still have days where I may not want to get out of bed um but it's more to do with the pain now than my brain being like no we don't want to do that and do you take anything for the pain? Yes, I'm on quite a few different medications.
0: Oh, so there, there are medications? Because sometimes when I'm reading about EDS, it says that there's nothing that can be done.
1: Yeah, so I'm on two strong painkillers and then I'm on one that's for nerve pain as well. Right. Um. So the nerve pain is actually an anti-seizure medication, but it works really well for nerve pain.
0: Yeah. So how long did it take you to get these uh, these drugs in like to get them in place and have them all working
1: quite a while.
0: Yeah, um, but it's all a long road.
1: Yeah, it. So with um, one of them, it was quite decided. Quite because ibuprofen isn't strong enough, so I needed a similar thing that was stronger. So the doctor decided to put me on naproxen, and that that was quite a number of years ago and that's been working um and then I'm allergic to caffeine so the normal meds that they put you on that are stronger than paracetamol I can't have because they have caffeine in right so they had to do a lot of research of what was similar that I could be put on so that took quite a while so that's um I'm on co and that doesn't have caffeine in
0: so it was that similar to codeineal then, but without the caffeine. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. And then the last one, the one for the nerve pain, I this was the third one they tried me on because the first two, I did not react very well with the um, side effects. Yeah. So, it's but you've just, settled on that now. Yeah, and I've been yeah. on it for a number of years now. That's. Brilliant. I'm also on antidepressants, and they help a lot. Yeah, not just with the eds but with my autism as well yeah
0: so speaking of autism and eds there seems to be quite a
1: link yeah there's a very big link
0: yeah and i wasn't sure if it was just because i'm in the autistic community that i saw that or if it actually was that there's a quite a big link between autism and eds
1: yeah there is a big link between eds and autism or even eds and adhd sort of any that are on the umbrella spectrum of autism. Um I'm on quite a lot of EDS pages as well as autism and even dyspraxia pages as well. Um there's a lot of link between them and EDS. Um and the the problem with the dyspraxia is a lot of the time it's harder to get a diagnosis because the consultants just say Or the doctors just say it's because you're clumsy, because obviously dyspraxia is known as clumsy child syndrome.
0: Yeah. So
1: So having dyspraxia, does that make the pain worse? I'd say probably, yeah. I'm constantly bashing into things. Um, So I now use my chair a lot more, which is safer because I was always bashing into door. I, I still bash into door frames a little bit, yeah. but it's more my chair that gets the brunt of it instead of me. Yeah. Um. So, but, yeah, it's, I can knock something. I have a thing for knocking my hands on doors all the time, and I've been known to then dislocate about three fingers or, so we've had a few A&E trips because yeah. of that. Since I've moved into supported living, it's just because I'm getting used to the whole setup as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you how it was going. So, when did you move into supported living? So, I've actually done it sort of twice. So, the one I'm in now was, I've been here for six, nearly seven months. The one before, so I had a break in the middle, it didn't quite go to plan, but I was there for six months. Right. But this one's much better. It's, um, my own flat and it's all wheelchair accessible and I can still use my crutches and my braces when I want to walk, which I do try and do every day. Well, when I feel like it, my staff and my parents try to get me to walk every day. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: So when you were going through diagnosis, can you remember anything in particular that, that you had to do or what did you have to meet certain criteria?
1: Some of it was criteria and also another thing was um I sort of did a pain diary and like it was sort of like a body diary, so it was things like pain, bruises, um dislocations, stuff like that. Just things that were normal for me but aren't normal for most people. Yeah. You had to sort of keep it in a diary so that you could so that they could then see how many times it was happening, like, in a day or in a week. Yeah. And so after you were diagnosed, was it a relief? It was, because it It wasn't, it wasn't, because um, obviously I found that I'm not mad and there was something wrong with me and there's now a diagnosis. But the other thing is there wasn't enough information about it. So there's still, it's much better than it was when I got diagnosed. Um, It's, yeah, there's a lot more information and obviously I'm helping with the EDS Awareness Month and putting as much information as I know on Facebook to try and help um, get it all across there. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you're doing an amazing job. I'm looking at your page every day to see what new information I can learn. And I mean, I I watch what you're doing anyway because I saw that you were doing the cheerleading and the wheelchair basketball. I mean, I I don't I don't know you in real life, but I've known you for quite a while because I know you like cosplay. Yeah. Do you still do cosplay?
1: Yes, I'm actually going to Liverpool Comic Con on the 21st of May. Wow. So say something like that. You've got that booked in your diary. What happens if you wake
0: up that morning and you're really bad with pain and things? Um. This
1: is happened before so I've I can't remember which it was a cosplay event I was going to and I ended up going in the afternoon because I couldn't function at all in the morning um but it's happened with other things and I try to sort of rest have what I tend to do is the the day before I try not to do anything right so um usually on a Friday I volunteer at Chester Zoo oh wow (laughs) Um, if I do something on a Saturday, I would try to move my volunteering just so that um either move or don't go because we have to do a minimum of two hours a week anyway and I always do at least four. So <laughs> it's just so I don't get too tired and I don't get too sore. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you, you do have to sort of look at what you're planning to do, work out how you're going to try to prevent it from happening by having like a rest day before or and after. Um, you can't really push yourself. I tend to have naps every day, um, right? which does help me a lot.
0: <laughs> That's really valuable, I think. So when you're planning your week, if you've got wheelchair basketball, for example, do you need to rest before that?
1: Yeah, so um, I have a nap before we go to wheelchair basketball. I'll do so on. I'll do something on Friday morning. I go to the zoo. Um, then I don't do anything after that. Um, until Saturday morning, I do. I volunteer at the park run, but that's just I do the timer or the barcode. And then I come back, have breakfast, um, and then usually have a shower, and then I'll have a nap until, um wheelchair basketball and then I'll go and do wheelchair basketball
0: you're you're so inspiring it's I mean you've gone through all of this and I mean if Jamie does have EDS I know kind of what it's like and you're doing all of this stuff it's just amazing I'm on it I I don't even know I can't get the words out to say how you're just so impressive I, I love I love your your drive
1: and it took how... a number of years for me to get like this. Before that, it was, yeah, it's definitely been, my mum and dad have def- definitely shown me that it's better to be positive about stuff than negative. Yeah,
0: Because one of the things I was worried about learning more about EDS was that it was going to be a really negative experience. But I think you've just completely turned that around and shown that, you know, you've like you said, you've got to do everything while you can.
1: Yeah, I've got quite a number of friends with EDS and um, most of them are the same as me. They just sort of figure out what's the best for them and make sure they can do what they want to do. So where
0: do you go to for support? You say you've got friends. Is there a support group or...?
1: There is a lot of support online. Um, There is local support groups. So... um, Ellis Danlos Syndrome, the website, let me just remember what the website is. So there's the there's Ellis Danlos Support UK, and they actually have support groups in local areas. Um, they'll do some on Zoom, some in real. in person they also have specific ones for if you're in the lgbtq plus community if you like gaming um they sort of alter it depending on what you like oh that's really good and there's a lot of support there there's lots of facebook groups um which is really good because you will find people in if you're on the facebook group you will find people that you will end up making friends with. I've got quite a few friends who um, I've not met in person, yeah. but I've met through the Facebook groups and like, we've messaged each other and supported each other. So, yeah. Well, that's brilliant. So
0: um, I'm not going to keep you too long because I've, <laughs> you've been amazing. You've been so great to talk to and you've given s- such great advice and and everything's just been really good. I think I've learned more from you than all my hours scrolling on the internet. <laughs> um, but what advice would you give to somebody who thinks that they may have EDS?
1: So do your research before you go to the doctors. Um, go on either EDS UK or the LSDAMLOS Society, which is the one that I'm sharing all the information about at the moment, um, because they have a lot of sort of advice that you can take with you to the doctors to help you get diagnosed. Um, it is better if you do your research and you take stuff and say, look, I think I've got this, because a lot of GPs don't know that much about it. Um, they are getting better, and the Ellis Danlos Society are, in their campaign at the moment, they are trying to get hospitals and gps more equipped to be able to dig deal with diagnosis and support
0: that's brilliant well thank you so much for joining us today like i said that's just been it's been like a breath of fresh air i was really expecting this to be quite a negative podcast (laughs) but you've been so positive and i'm just really inspired by you i think you do amazing and yeah you've just got so much going on thank you So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us and I hope you have a great time at Comic-Con. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.